Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I had gone camping with two friends of mine in the desert above a dry lake bed. At night, the moon was so bright that you could see pretty well around the campsite. We could see a few other camps on the other side of the lake bed, but definitely. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. ...not close enough to hear anyone from those camps. I decided to not attach the rainfly to my tent to enjoy the view of the stars that night. I ended up waking up around 3.45 a.m., couldn't go back to sleep for some time. Just tossing and turning, I could very clearly hear both of my friends snoring. When I hear a whisper say, you awake, in one of my friend's voices, I didn't hear any footsteps to or from the camp, but I stayed awake for another hour or so after hearing that. When everyone eventually woke up the next morning, even though I knew the answer, I asked my friends if either of them woke up around 3.45 and asked if I was awake. Both of them slept through the night. I've always been drawn to the natural beauty and rugged wilderness of Yellowstone National Park. From the towering geysers and bubbling hot springs to the sprawling meadows dotted with elk and bison, the park is a true wonder of the world. 
But as a park ranger, I also know that the seemingly peaceful wilderness holds many dangers and secrets, especially in the remote and untamed backcountry. I had been working as a ranger for several years, but I had never encountered anything like the terror I faced on a routine patrol in the summer of 2022. I had been making my way through a dense forest near the north boundary of the park when I heard a blood-curdling roar that echoed through the trees. At first I thought it was a grizzly bear, but as the sound grew closer, I realized that it was something much more sinister. I caught a glimpse of a massive, hairy figure moving through the trees, and I knew that I was face, to face, with Bigfoot. I tried to defend myself with my pepper spray, but the creature was unfazed. It charged at me with astonishing speed and knocked me to the ground, pinning me with its massive arms. I was sure that I was going to die, but somehow I managed to wriggle free and make a run for it. I stumbled through the forest, dodging trees and tripping over roots, until I came upon an old cabin in the woods. I stumbled inside and locked the door, panting and shaking with fear. As I caught my breath, I realized that the cabin was not abandoned. There was someone inside, a Native American man who introduced himself as a park ranger like myself. He told me that he had been tracking Bigfoot for years and had finally found evidence of its existence in the park. At first, I was relieved to have found another ranger and someone who could help me get back to safety. But as the night wore on, I began to suspect that he was not what he seemed. He seemed to take a sadistic pleasure in recounting tales of Bigfoot attacks, and I noticed that he was always looking at me with a strange gleam in his eye. I soon realized that he was not a ranger at all but a crazy Bigfoot fanatic who had lured me to the cabin with the intention of killing me. I was trapped in the cabin with this madman, with Bigfoot lurking outside and no way to call for help. I knew that I had to get out of there before it was too late. I waited until he had fallen asleep, and then I made my escape. I ran through the woods, dodging trees and tripping over roots, until I finally stumbled upon a park road. I flagged down a passing car and was rescued. The authorities were skeptical of my wild story, but after a thorough investigation, they found evidence of Bigfoot tracks and the remnants of the old cabin in the woods. The man who had attacked me was arrested and charged with attempted murder. I was hailed as a hero, but the memory of that terrifying night still haunts me. Despite my close encounter with Bigfoot, I couldn't stay away from Yellowstone. The park holds a special place in my heart, and I knew that I had to return to continue my work as a ranger. I now carry a firearm for protection, and I never venture into the buck country without a partner. But I also know that no matter how many precautions I take, there will always be dangers lurking in the wilderness. This is probably not a very exciting story to read, but it was spooky for me at the time. I got turned around while looking for a campground. The place that I had thought was the campground entrance had shut down more than a year earlier because of pandemic, so I was out on some backwoods mountain forest road with barely any cell service, no clue where I was, and hadn't passed another human being in miles. I just kept driving down the same road through the woods until I eventually found a gravel parking lot for a hiking trail where I could pull over and try to look at a map. 
That's all just to set up that I was in a very remote spot, very far from the main road, and there were no people around anywhere. I hadn't seen a person or another car in at least half an hour. I stopped right in the middle of the parking lot, since no one was around, and started trying to pull up a map on my phone. The windows to my car were down. Right away I heard footsteps crunching on the gravel, walking over to my car, and my immediate thought was that there must have been a park ranger watching the parking lot, and they were coming over to ask me if I needed help. When the footsteps were close to my car, I looked up from my phone to ask for directions, and nobody was there. Nobody was anywhere around me. I didn't hear more footsteps either, like from a deer running away. I mentioned I was in the middle of an empty gravel lot, so if an animal had walked up to my car, I'm pretty sure I would have seen or heard it run off. There was just nobody there. I was really freaked out and immediately rolled my windows up and drove all the way back, the way I came until I found the main road and made it all the way to an actual human town before I was brave enough to pull over and mess with the map again. I don't believe in ghosts, but I have no idea what to make of what happened. Maybe a squirrel was under my car so I heard it come up, but then couldn't see it. It was so freaky in the moment, though. Fair warning, this story involves a battle with food poisoning. Maybe don't read this one over your lunch. A few years ago, I loaded a bunch of camping gear onto my bicycle and spent the better part of the next seven months riding 5,300 miles, 8,500 kilometers around much of the U.S. And I did this trip solo. One day in southern Washington state, I stopped for lunch at a fast food place on my way through a small town. As I continued biking in the afternoon, something definitely felt a bit off in my stomach but it didn't slow me down too much. At night, I most often preferred to wild camp, simply finding somewhere to disappear into the woods at night, somewhere people were unlikely to find me and even less likely to care that I was there. I usually start looking for a campsite an hour before dusk, and on this particular evening, I had no trouble finding my spot. I start going through my usual evening routine, set up the tent, make my bed, change my clothes, write my final journal entry of day of the day, and then lights out not long after the last natural light. But pedaling 80 pounds, 36 kilograms, of bike and camping gear all day every day is hungry work, so usually that routine is accompanied by copious amounts of snacking. On this particular night, however, I had little appetite. Laying down in bed did not do my stomach well. My mild aches quickly turned to more severe cramps, followed by waves of nausea. Feeling like I was about to throw up, I'd sit up in bed, hand on the zipper of my tent door, ready to lean out to vomit. But after sitting up for a few minutes, I'd feel better, and so I'd lay back down. After a few minutes, though, the uneasiness would return. Eventually, around 11.30, I finally threw up, and thankfully I managed to get the door open in time. I used some water from one of my bottles to rinse out my mouth, drank some more water to help replenish the fluids I'd lost, and then laid back down. Feeling much better, I managed to get a couple hours of sleep. I woke again around 1.30, and the whole song and dance began again. Sit up ready to open the door. Feel better after a few minutes. Lay back down. 
repeat a few times. Vomit around 2.30. Rinse my mouth, drink water, back to sleep. I woke for a third and final time around 4.30. Thankfully, I never threw up again, but realizing I was unlikely to get back to sleep before dawn, I decided there were more productive uses of my time than to even try. I was in no condition to get back on the bike, but I dreaded even more the alternative. I couldn't stay where I was out of fear of my condition continuing to deteriorate. And besides, I'd used up all my water throughout the night so I had no choice but to get back on the bike. There was a town about 30 miles, 50 kilometers, ahead. A fairly easy half day for me under better conditions. I would put myself up in a cheap motel in that town for the night and reassess my condition after a proper night's rest. Shortly after dawn, I got to it. I broke down the tent, loaded everything onto the bike, and hiked it back to the road. Get on, start pedaling and something feels weird right away. It's a flat tire, just my luck, right? But I had the tools, spare parts, and knowledge to make the repair, so I got to work. In my less than ideal mental state, it took me far longer to repair than it had any right to, and by the time the wheel was back together and holding air, it had started raining. Nothing I could do other than put on my rain jacket turn on my lights and just push through it. The words absolute misery don't feel big enough for it, but I don't know how else to summarize that day's ride. I was cold and wet. I was hungry but didn't want to put too much food into my still upset stomach. I was dehydrated. Remember I'd used all my water the night before, and I was tired in every sense of the word. Sleep-deprived, mentally exhausted, physically aching and sore. Every rotation of the pedals felt like a feat of Herculean strength. And yet somehow, I continued to find that strength. I eventually made it to the town. First, I stopped at a grocery store for some food that would be easy on my stomach. Then I went to the motel. I took a long, hot shower, called my mom, then slept for 13 hours straight. I woke the next morning feeling great. A light breakfast went down easily and I decided to get back on the bike. The goal was to make it to Portland, Oregon, where I planned to stay in a hostel for a few nights and explore the city on foot. It would be 60 miles, 100 kilometers. A fairly long day for me, even in the best of health. That day went by quite smoothly, but to make a long story short, due in part to some poor judgment on my end, the stomach cramps caught up to me the next day when I was out at a museum. The day after that, I just took a rest day at the hostel, which ended up being a good call as the food poisoning really came back with a vengeance. Not throwing up this time, but now in the form of diarrhea, I know, but you ask. Thankfully, that got it all out of my system. The next morning, I felt great, and after a full day on my feet, I returned to the hostel late that evening, still feeling fantastic. In hindsight, I'm just thankful the ships waited until I was back in civilization. Throughout that chapter of my life, I had a few incidents that could be described as scary, but usually just in a creepy way. But when it comes to actual rational fear for my safety, the food poisoning incident is everything else beat by quite a margin. Me and four of my buddies drew into a two-day hunt on a reserve. 
Day one, about 8.30 in the morning, about 500 yards from my spot, my buddy filmed a fat black bear. We only have muzzleloaders. They are like a Civil War-style gun. You get one shot, then you got reload with a ramrod and stuff. I never saw any deer, so at 2 p.m. after lunch, me and another buddy scout for a new spot. We find a hylacious animal trail, and he drops me off. I tell him pick me up LB on the road after dark. He's about seven miles away. I sit there from 2 p.m. till dark. All I see are loads of elk. The trail wasn't deer, it was Elk Highway. So it gets dark and I creep down to the road. Right at dusk, almost too dark to see something crashes in the thick bushes about 30 yards in front of me across the road. I think um, maybe it's a deer. So I grunt call just to get a reaction. Nothing. So I creep on it thinking I can bust it if it's a deer. It doesn't budge, he's just sniffing like a dog. Sniff, sniff, sniff. I kick the ground and stop trying to bump it. It just keeps sniffing. I remember that bear and am ten feet from whatever this is. I slowly back into a feed plot behind me with my one shot at my hip. I'm gonna have to hip shoot it if it's a bear. I get fifty yards in the middle of a field plot, a big bull elk off to my right in the full moonlight. I see something drive out of the bushes into the thicket across the road to my left. So I run further out. It's a standoff. I shine my light into the thicket, and I see eyes reflecting back. They look eight inches apart, four foot off ground. It's just sniffing over and over. And like, where's my bro? It's full dark, and this thing is stalking me using cover. My buddy lights start shining down the road, and this thing crashes through the bushes away. I figure it's a bear, but I don't know. I was turtle-hitting him. Not gonna lie. I had one shot in the dark. Coyotes howling like crazy, too. Predators were out in full effect on the full moon night. This past March of 2022, my girlfriend and I went on a camping trip headed into Clearwater, Florida. She found some remote free campsite called 17 Mile Hunt or something inside the Osceola National Forest. The closer we got to this place, the more bad feelings I was starting to get. Upon arrival, we instantly notice a missing person flyer on the post. So now my gut is really throwing me red flags at this point. We drive down the road into the area looking for a spot. It was empty as far as we knew, which was also very creepy to me. So we start to set out our camp. When I'm almost done setting up the tent, this man approaches us and says, you guys aren't worried about the missing person. And I'm like, uh, uh, should we be worried? His body language was really off, and he was asking us really weird questions. Do you have a gun or a weapon? I told him we did, and was just trying to get him to go away by being short and brief with him. He eventually invited us over to smoke a joint with him later after I told him I needed to finish setting up before dark. As soon as he walked away, I threw all my shit in the car, and we went to a hotel for the night instead. I had a really bad feeling something bad was going to happen to us, and I didn't want to stick around to find out. Flash flood in the middle of the night at Hunter's Canyon near Moab, Utah. We were camped near the riverbed, which was about four feet deep and 20 feet across. 
Before the sun set, there were about two inches of water, maybe one, two feet across trickling through. It was only lightly raining, but by midnight, the entire riverbed was full. Some of our friends we were camping with had let their two boys pitch a tent on the other side of the river, and the water was lapping at their tent, and they weren't sure if the boys knew what was happening. Fortunately, the river stopped before it consumed their tent. Nearby us, a dirt road that led to a lot of other camping places crossed the river. It was the first night of spring break for a bunch of colleges, and so there were a lot of people coming in late trying to get to campsites. A huge line started to build up of cars waiting for the river to go down so they could cross. One guy with a minivan decided to wade out into the river to see how deep it was, to see if he could cross. All of a sudden, he yelled, Set. We thought maybe he had slipped and was going to be carried away, but it turns out he had been carrying his keys in his hand and dropped them. We helped him look for them for a while, but eventually gave up. He ended up having to get the minivan towed into town a few days later. I don't think the keys got washed too far away because we would periodically hear the minivan beep or honk, like the fob was in range and was being short-circuited by the water. My boyfriend and I were on an epic camping trip to the Yukon one summer a couple years back. We decided to check out this cute town called Atlin and stay the night at a campsite we hadn't originally planned to stay at, was recommended by our campsite neighbor earlier in the trip. It was a long day of driving, and we had about an hour of light to set up camp and make dinner, and it was very misty and looked like rain. The site was the last one down this long road that had many sites along the way, but we were the only ones for a few kilometers. We had set up the tent by this time and were getting dinner ready, when somewhere close in the forest, we heard a loud crashing noise. Well, being in northern, northern British Columbia, my boyfriend freaks the F out thinking it's a bear running through the forest to eat us. He screams quick, it's a bear, get in the car. We both jumped in the car and locked the doors behind us. After a few minutes of deep breathing, we realized it was probably just a tree falling or something. We got out of the car, looked around, nothing was around. But the eerie on edge feeling didn't go away, so we decided to skip the campfire that night and settle into our tent. Laying our anxious heads down, we were thinking we wouldn't sleep at all that night. Thankfully, there was a babbling creek right next to us, which lulled us to sleep, surprisingly the best sleep of the trip. At the time, I was a 20-year-old female, and I had just moved alone to a small town in upstate New York. I had grown up in another slightly larger town about 60 miles away, and just wanted a new start. I love camping often go camping in the Adirondacks, but at that time I hadn't yet made friends to go camping with, so I wasn't going to the real woods alone. Down the road from me I had been walking and found an area where the power lines cut through a wooded section. The power lines were perpendicular to the road. It was near a house, but far enough to the right of the house where I thought people wouldn't mind if I walked up the trail that the power lines make. Not sure about other countries, but in the U.S., they keep power lines clear in case maintenance is necessary. So I wander up there noticing how it's actually pretty deep woods, and I can get far enough from the house that I saw on the road, 
that they couldn't possibly think I'm trying to break in or anything. Bing! Idea. I could go camping up here. It's secluded enough to give the real woods experience, but close enough to the road that I wouldn't be in real danger of wildlife or anything. Okay, sweet. So I do. I set up camp in this little clearing that I accessed by climbing the hill, following the power lines, then turned left onto what seemed to be a deer trail. Deer are everywhere in New York. Then I came upon this really nice, flat, grassy clearing. I built my fire off to the side after making sure to clear the dead wood, etc. I'm feeling really smart and independent. It was creepy to sleep in the woods alone as I had always had at least one camping companion. But hey, whatever. Next day I decided to wander further down the path to see where it leads. I walk for about a half hour and I can see some fields on the right, but they are in the distance and there is a fence between the fields and the path. So again, I figure people can't be mad at me being here. Then I come across another path heading to the right. I follow it. A couple of feet in, it curves slightly, and there is an old van on the left of the path. Well, that's strange, but it's about 1 p.m., near noon anyway, broad daylight. Birds are chirping, so I feel no danger. I go up to the van, which had obviously been there a very long time. It was 70s style, made me think of Scooby-Doo van, and way overgrown with weeds. There are streaks of brownish red going down the side from the bottom of the doors. I look in and see what appears to be old bedding in the back, but it was all shredded. The curtains in the windows were shredded, and the clothing strewn about looked like it was from the 70s or early 80s. I still felt no danger signs. Snickering at the terrible fashions back in the day, I continue along the path for a short time, until I finish rounding the slight bend. I stop dead in my tracks. Finally, my reptile sense, or whatever you want to call it, wakes the hell up and starts screaming at me full volume. Up ahead, there's a creepy ass doll hanging from the trees by its neck, with a rope not just stuck in the trees. Just to the left of that, there is an old garage, overgrown with weeds. To the right of it, though, there is this huge cage-like structure, easily big enough to hold a full-sized man. It seems to be made up of pipes and other long metal objects just kind of welded together. Some were up and down, some were across, and the squares they made weren't big enough to fit my head through. Not that I tried. It had four sides and a ceiling. It had other creepy-ass dolls hanging from it. It also had reddish-brown stains running down the sides, just like the van. Further behind it, there is a run-down house. Creeped out is all hell. I just turned tail and ran. I am not a runner. I'm a chunky girl. I had smoked for six years at that point, and I did not run, but I ran that day. I don't even remember the run. I just remember coming upon my campsite, grabbing my tent in one swoop as I ran past. Luckily, I had put my things into the tent, ripping it out of the ground as I continued running. I left my cooler, my food, behind. Never went back for it either. I dropped the tent stake somewhere along the way, and I had to repair rips in my tent. I tore down the hill. I'm still surprised I didn't break my neck, jumped in my car and sped home. I locked all my doors, then paced my house going what the F, what the fuff, for hours, 
It's been 11 years since that incident, and even typing it now makes my hands shake. I now live almost 1,400 miles away, but I still just made sure my doors were locked. They are. Crazy thing is, it wasn't in deep woods. Maybe in the 70s it was, though. Who knows? As it stands now, though, there are people living within a short walk of this place. And no, I know you're going to ask. No, I didn't call the cops. I can't really articulate why. My best analysis, looking back, is that I didn't want that creep to come find me. I should have, yes. You were right. I am hoping that it was just an old crime scene, not some sick F who still keeps people in cages in the woods. So crazy man or woman who built a human-sized cage in the woods and thinks hanging dolls is good feng shui. Let's not meet. I grew up 10 kilometers outside of a small village in mid-north Sweden, close by a lake, and I played and biked around in these woods all through my life. I always had a kind of creepy feeling, but I know these areas so well. One night five years ago, me and two friends walked out through the woods, pitch black outside we just used our phone lights to see the trails to go sit by the lake and smoke. On our way back, we see some flashing, waving lights in the corner of the eye, maybe 50 meters away. No sound at all. We don't hear no people, no footsteps or sticks being broken, and then it disappear. And I think I read somewhere on Reddit before about similar experiences. The thing is, where our house is, there is almost no neighbors. I have no idea who or what that was. Our house is located close to the lake with almost a swamp close to it. Lots of weird noises and things growing up in nature like that. Edit, uh, I mean there is a few houses around us with a couple of kilometers in between. But this was during winter and past midnight. Just us and nature and that weird light. My wife and I hiked and camped quite a bit before we had our first kid, now one year old. Some backpacking, but mostly car camping that requires a good drive down a forest service road to escape people and noise. In 2016, we decided after three nights in a national forest and adjacent national park, we'd stay at AFS campsite, a change from dispersed camping. A ways from any town, but still a campsite with a bathroom. We had a wonderful time during the day, swam in the lake, yada yada awesome place. The campsite was mostly busy, but with small families. One noteworthy group, loudish people, though well out of sight, on the other side of a stand of trees. They brought many cars of all types, at least those that could drive down the road, non-paved for a good two miles. Not bad, though. But whatever. Let people have fun. I didn't care about the noise. Come night. We go to bed early. No fire as we wake up early to hike before the sun beats down. The group is still loud. My wife does the earplugs. I'm able to ignore it and sleep. No problem. Come 1 a.m. I wake up perhaps due to the group noise. I don't know. I can hear fewer of them, maybe four or five people that were audible. Enough to make out every fourth or fifth word. Loud drunkenness, but it was initially friendly. Cursing, laughing. Next thing I hear a guy call a lady a cunt, and shit goes downhill from there. 
Now they are yelling expletives that I can mostly make out because of the yelling. Women and men both telling each other to F off. Luckily my wife is still out sleeping. Out of this mess of people yelling, a woman just starts screaming, shrieking. Something changed and happened to her. This wasn't just someone joining the verbal fight. This was the first time my heart rate went up. WTF is happening. Even while others in the group are still yelling, I can tell the shrieking girl is moving away from the group, but is still yelling loud. Like distorting your voice yelling her, yells turn into words help as she moves. In F, I can begin tell she is getting closer to the tent site area where I am. Pause real quick. Let me give the layout of my campsite, which is key. Around one bend of a large lake, there are several camp areas, which means multiple 6-12 campsite pods, each accessible by a walking trail. There is an area to park with each campsite near each trail. The dirt road swings around the lake to each parking area. This yelling group was in the pod next to mine, not the same campsite. Screaming girl is getting closer, but it's hard to yell. Then her screams for help become clear, where I'm able to make out. Help, someone is trying to stab me. I can hear her move from the road to the parking area where my car is parked, coming closer to the trailhead that connects to my campsite. In my head, F. Don't come to the trail. Don't come to the trail. My tent is the first one once you enter the trail. My wife is sleeping through the yelling still. I might sound like an asshole for not jumping up and playing the hero here, but that, I'm not touching drunk people drama. Sure enough, she starts down the trail. The trail splits, and I'm on the right. I'm thinking, go left, go left. My wife is starting to wake up, pulls out the earplug. I turn to her. It's okay, it's okay. Yelling girl turns right, walks right up to our tent, stands next to it, help me. Can you please help me? She is sobbing. I get up first and open the tent. In the twilight and the light from the girl's phone, I can see she is a teenager, drunk as hell, not bleeding or stabbed luckily. I'm tired and don't respond well, sputtering a bit, saying things like, I don't know, we can't. My wife pops up and handles the situation like a boss, calming her down, asking her name sitting her down on the picnic table, descalating. Take a second. Imagine waking up to someone screaming help at 1 a.m. next to your tent. Not sure how my wife handled that so well. The short version of girl's story. She is 16. Her cousin got jealous about hugging her boyfriend, threatened and maybe tried to stab the 16-year-old. All were drinking. Meanwhile, we can hear people over in the campsite continuing to rage, yelling at each other. It is now mostly just two guys yelling at each other. My wife instructs the girl to drink water and stay away from her cousin. They were going over options. I'm trying to use either of our phones, wife's and mine, to call police. No signal. To mobile. Luckily, other campers have woken up and come to our area. They have a signal and call the police, thank God. The girl has calmed down at this point and wants to leave. We are all weary as we can still hear the dude screaming at each other. The girl abruptly leaves. Wife and I, plus two other campers, are standing in the parking area. Near the trail, W.T. Fing about it all. The dude's yelling in the background escalates to a fist fight. You can hear skin slaps like someone got popped. 
falling into bushes, shouting. The four of us sitting there waiting for the police. This goes on for a while. Thirty minutes and no police. Understandable given the location. Suddenly the sixteen-year-old girl comes back. She has half a fifth of vodka in her hand. Now she is cursing. I'm gonna for up. I have guns. My mom has a gun at the house. My wife and the two campers whip out their negotiation skills and talk her down. Wife gets sixteen-year-old to give up the bottle and sit on the ground. Do you think messing her up is a good decision right now? I'm looking at my wife like, is that gonna work? Girl is like, no. Lowell, I'm such a loser with my capabilities right now. I play no useful role in all of this. The teenager then reveals that her mom is on the tribal council. She said everyone in the group is going to be in trouble over this. I didn't realize, but apparently that is important shit to people in that area. Guys in background still yelling. A second fistfight ensues. Police finally get there. Story speeds up. In short, police get the story told to them. I see eyebrows go up when the girl mentions who her mom is. They seemingly reluctant pack teenager into the car. And as soon as they move her into the car, she screams violently. Doors close and you can still hear that screaming. Fighting dudes or group must have seen the lights as that commotion stops. Police talk to them. Cops leave with the girl. Then it's quiet. Close to 3 a.m. Shaken, the wife and I go back to our tent and discuss next steps. Should we stay, decided we were leave first thing in the morning. But while lying there as if to sleep, only five minutes later, the group again begins to shout at each other. Expletives. More along the lines of we're messed and the view of... Nope, we're out. So in the dark, we quietly pack the car. For some reason, wife and I were concerned the group will hear us. The tent goes in unfolded. Fast. Once everything is in, when we start the car, suddenly one of the dudes from the fighting group sprints over to our parking lot like he is about to stop us. First time seeing him. Shirtless skinny guy in shorts. I accelerate quickly toward him. He is in the middle of the lot. Then turn toward the road and get out of there. Nearly three hours of driving back to the city. Me and my two other friends, all 19, decided to do some kayak, backcountry, camping along a lake, but we weren't sure exactly where the spots were from the lake since they are only marked from the trail in the woods. So we decided to hike in first and find it so we knew where it was. We hiked the two miles in during a light drizzle and found camp, left our packs in a cooler and hiked back to our kayaks. Loaded up the kayaks with firewood, and two of us took the kayaks, one was tied to my buddy's kayak, and set off for camp while my other buddy hiked back. A storm was rolling in, and the water was super choppy, and it was getting dark, but we had to take it really slow, so we didn't flip. We got to camp safely, though, and set up during a short break in the rain. We were all hammock camping and found a cluster of trees so we could all be closer together and hang out while it rained throughout our trip. That first night it started off as a calm drizzle, but around 3 a.m. we all woke up to the loudest thunder and brightest lightning of our lives. Scared to death, we just talked about how we were going to die. Lightning, thunder, and 30 miles per hour wind gusts. I was praying a tree didn't fall on us. We kept hearing limbs fall. 
Eventually, I just accepted that if I die, I die. And from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m., I got some of the best sleep of my life. Woke up the next morning to all of my gear that was under my tarp soaked because it fell off the hook and the wash was under our setup. To this day, it's one of my favorite camping trips. A few years back, my girlfriend and I, having hiked several other parts of the Appalachian Trail, decided we wanted to give the southern portion of Virginia's trail a shot. It is about 166 miles long and runs through George Washington and Jefferson National Forests from Roanoke County to Parisburg and Giles County. This is definitely one of the more remote and less traveled parts of the trail, which is exactly what we were looking for. We gathered our gear and made our way to the start of the Virginia Creeper Trail to begin our journey. We had planned our journey to end at Damascus and figured that by the time we got there, we would be more than ready to get home to our own beds. It was early October, and the changing of the leaves and colors were amazing. The air was crisp and cool, perfect hiking weather with beautiful scenery. The majority of the trip was pretty uneventful, just your typical hike. But our last couple of nights is where things got weird. On this portion of the trail, you are supposed to camp on the trail or a designated shelter. We didn't really want to run into other people and didn't want anyone coming up on us in the middle of the night. We decided to ignore those suggestions and find our own little spot off the trail. A little searching around and we found a spot a little ways off the trail in the middle of a small clearing. It was perfect. We set up camp cooked some food, talked for a while, then snuggled up and went to sleep for the night. Somewhere around 2 a.m. I was awoke by my girlfriend shaking me awake, telling me, get your gun. Someone is outside walking around our tent. She informed me that she woke up to what sounded like someone right outside the tent running a knife or something along the side while circling us. When hiking, I carry a 1911 and a judge with me. You never know exactly who or what you might run into when on such a long hike in a remote location. I got the judge out of my pack and then we sat silently listening for any sounds. A few minutes of nothing but the breeze blowing through the trees and then I heard it. Snap, crunch, snap. Someone. Or something walking in the woods behind our tent. I got the flashlight and silently made my way out of the tent. Our fire had went out so it was nearly pitch black illuminated by only the dim glow of the October moon. I told my girlfriend to stay put while I checked it out. I didn't flick the flashlight on right away so as to not give away that I was out of the tent and have it become a shining beacon of my location. Instead, I waited to hear more noises. After a few minutes, snap, crunch, crack. It sounded like it was bipedal based on the way the steps were paced. I turned on the flashlight and flooded the area with light. I thought I saw someone move behind a tree. I yelled out and told them to go away and that I was armed. I kept the light on the area with my gun drawn and slowly approached towards the area where I thought I saw the figure. Then from my right I hear what sounds like someone running away through the woods. I spin and face my light that way and then from the original spot here who or whatever was there take off into the woods. There's no way I am giving chase, so I return to the campsite. I tell my girlfriend about what happened, and I end up sitting guard outside the tent in the darkness until daybreak. 
In the morning, I looked around a bit for signs of who or whatever it was, and I discovered a boot print in some soft, moist dirt not far from our tent. It wasn't mine, and it wasn't my girl's. This freaked me out as it confirmed that someone, perhaps more than one, was skulking around our tent in the dark. I kept it to myself because I didn't want to freak my girl out any more than she already was. At this point, we were pretty deep in and still had two days left. That day, we walked a little faster than normal and covered as much ground as possible. When it came time to set up camp, I found a spot near a cliff where we could place the tent in a small overhang and prevent anyone from coming up behind us. The whole day up to this point, I had a feeling we were being followed. I had no confirmation of this as I hadn't seen or heard anyone else, but it was just a gut feeling. We set up camp and made some food, then retreated to the tent. I gave my girl the 1911, and I kept the judge right next to me, and I assured her that if I slept at all, it would be with one eye open. After a while, she drifted off to sleep, and I stayed awake, listening to the sounds of the woods at night. I was awake for a few hours, just waiting to see if anything was going to happen. At some point, I guess my exhaustion caught up with me, and I drifted off. I woke some time later to what sounded like someone going through our stuff outside the tent. I grabbed my gun and woke my girlfriend, shushing her to be quiet. From the faint glow of the fire, I could see someone's silhouette against the tent. There was really someone out there. I yelled out to them something along the lines of, We are armed. Get the F out of here! They dropped what they were doing and bolted. I came out of the tent, gun drawn and ready to shoot someone. Our stuff was strewn all about. They had rummaged through quite a bit of our stuff. I walked to the edge of the woods in the direction whoever was out there had fled. There was a creek nearby, and I walked to the edge where there was a small trail running alongside it. Down the creek I could see a light. It looked like a lantern the way it flickered. Then I saw three more emerge from the other side of the woods. I told my girlfriend to start packing up whatever she could and that we were leaving now. We packed up everything of value left the tent and a few other items and headed back onto the trail in the middle of the night. I kept hearing people talking off in the woods and hearing branches snap for quite some ways. I kept looking behind us every few seconds to make sure nobody was coming up on us. It was completely nerve-wracking. If something happened, we were still a long ways from anywhere and quite literally on our own. Since we hadn't seen another hiker the entire time we had been out there, I really felt we were in serious danger. We had been walking for quite some time when I heard something in the woods behind us. As we rounded a corner, I turned around and saw someone step out onto the trail and just stand there watching us. It was just as the sun was coming up and barely any light. I couldn't make out any features. Just the silhouette. I stopped and looked at them for a sec and asked them who they were and what they wanted. They just stood there silently, watching us, and then turned and walked back into the woods. We picked up the pace and kept going, looking back every so often. We didn't see them again, but my gut told me they were still there for quite a ways. We eventually reached the end of the trail and got to where we had parked my girlfriend's car, extremely exhausted. We made it out of the Virginia woods without becoming a meal for a clan of cannibalistic inbred hillbillies, which is what I pictured happening in my head the whole time. I have no idea who they were or what they wanted. Maybe it was someone just messing with us.
Maybe it really was a clan of deformed hillbillies who were hunting us. I will never know, because I will not be returning to find out. I was camping with four friends in Chile. After a long day exploring, we went back to our campsite and ate mushrooms. After four plus hours, only three of us were still up when one of the guys who I had only met that day fainted. I went to pick him up, and his eyes were glazed over, rolling into the back of his head. I held him up and tried to keep him awake, but he passed out again. The other friend who was still up was out of it, still tripping. I was two for sure, but I managed to get him to wake the other two. We finally got the guy to drink a Coke and eat some candy. Apparently it was a blood sugar thing, cause he eventually started to come to and made it to his tent. After he got situated, my heart was still racing, and then I fainted, taking a table down with me. I came around but was told it wasn't a pretty sight. Eventually I passed out and next day was okay, but everyone was pretty shook about what had happened. To set the scene, it was last Sunday, November 27th, and I'm walking through the woods to avoid interacting with guests like the average antisocial teenager I am. I have one of my uncle's dogs with me, Duke, a 150-pound Great Dine, as we're passing through a clearing. I state the size and breed of dog to demonstrate how out of character his behavior will be. As we get about halfway through the clearing, he begins to walk slower and begin to whine. I assume he hurt his paw, so I check him over, but find nothing. I turn around, and in my flashlight beam, I can see a pair of eyes about four feet off the ground, significantly taller than anything with eyes shine in my area. I understandably freak the hell out and start to back away. Then the most horrifying thing happens. It stands up. Whatever was watching me is now over six feet tall. And then and it talked. It said help with no emotion or cadence behind it. Duke is loosing his mind, trying to get away, and I decide that it is a reasonable plan. As we're running through the forest, trying to get back to our house, I can hear the creature saying, Help! 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 Help always, with five seconds apart. We mercifully make it back to the house and get inside. For the next few nights, if I looked out my window, I could still see those same eyes gazing into my soul from the woods. I don't know if it was a skinwalker or a wendigo or what the hell R was, but I hope I never see it again. To answer some questions you may have, the people saying the dog is insane for being 250 pounds, they are telling the truth. There was a typo wherein I accidentally typed 250 instead of 150. This occurred in northern Oklahoma. There was no discernible gender to the voice. There was no discernible evidence when I went back the next day.